This is Trumpet Radio Live. Thanks for joining us here on Trumpet Radio Live on 101.3 KPCG, online at kpcg.fm, and at thetrumpet.com as well. Dwight Falk with you here today on this Wednesday, and Grant Turgeon. Uh, did you get a chance to see the moon this morning? No, I didn't. I didn't. Mm. I didn't get outside early enough. I got a. Uh, I got a couple photos. Uh, my phone. I uh, totally forgot. I was so tired. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> it was the it was the eclipse part that I saw, so it was kind of cool. And uh, I think my I think my daughter might have been a little disappointed. She was pretty hyped about it, and I don't know what she was expecting, but. You know, it's an eclipse of the moon, so no explosions or anything. <laughs> no, like no that. explosions. <laughs> and she asked if um, if we needed special glasses for this one. Nope, not this one. Because when we did the uh, obviously the little solar eclipse in the summer, we all had to have the special glasses. But I said, nope, not with the moon. Not to my knowledge. <laughs> Either that, or I'm going to go blind later. But it seemed not that bright. That's probably the point of letdown for her that she didn't get to put on those weird glasses. <laughs> yeah, it could be. But anyway, so it was neat. And hopefully, people got to see it. Uh, if not, there's lots of pictures out there of uh, that moon. That that was what was it? It was a blue moon, a blood moon, a super moon, and an eclipse of the moon, mm-hmm. all in one one <laughs> night. So uh, it was pretty interesting. Uh, last night, of course, was uh, the State of the Union address by President Trump. Today is the day after the State of the Union address. <laughs> so here are some of the headlines today. Uh, Pelosi frowns at call for working together. Uh, <laughs> she frowned the whole night. <laughs> she was not happy. It's funny, too, because uh, the portions that I that I saw, um, the president would say something, and of course, it was very partisan in terms of the response. The Republicans would clap and stand. The Democrats would sit there and be angry. It's not that uncommon for that to happen, I guess. Although I think a lot of the things he he was saying were kind of overall U.S. things. Now, I know they're going to have their, di- their differences, but if you're talking about more jobs in the U.S., if you're talking about infrastructure, I don't know how that's a how you would be a boo bird about that. Like what? You don't want that to happen? Like, you don't think that's a good idea? So he would say some things, and the people would stand and cheer, but the Democrats mostly wouldn't, and Pelosi was in front, and she would turn and look, I think, to keep tabs on, on who was doing what. That's how it appeared to me anyway. Oh, that is, that's creepy that she would have to be <laughs> making sure that no one claps. Uh, my wife told me that apparently Bernie Sanders was clapping, but she could she could see the pain on his face when, when, when President Trump was talking about getting more people to work. Mm-hmm. Like. He he was clapping almost against his own will. He he deep down liked it, but didn't want to show it. But then he started showing it, and then regretted it. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, I don't understand. I know that it's very divided and very divisive, but I don't understand how you wouldn't at least clap for a nice idea, even if, let's say, you know, they don't have a way to do it all. It's still a good idea. I mean, if you hear, "Hey, let's get more people working in the U.S." That's worth applauding for, or hey, let's uh, improve the infrastructure. That's worth applauding for. Not to say that maybe they have the greatest plan or the ability to do those things, but why would you not applaud for that? And I just thought, well, what what part of that are you against? Like, would you prefer more people not work, or you don't want to see the roads improve? I I'm just not sure what they were upset about, other than they just don't like President Trump and and they want to be in power. But as far as what he was saying in some of those things. Why not just applaud for it? It's pretty good stuff. Imagine what it would take for them to actually applaud. Like, we're going to 
cure all diseases and end poverty forever. Let's work together to do that. And then Nancy Pelosi afterwards like, I don't know about that work together part. That doesn't sound like something that we were interested in at all. No, we don't want to work together. <laughs> I remember the president, uh, Obama's, I think it was his last state of the union. Remember when he told, uh, vice president Biden that he was giving him permission to go cure cancer and everyone started <laughs> applauding. And I, there were some things like that over the years where I'm like, well, that's just pie in the sky. Like it's ridiculous. <laughs> Uh, not that it's bad to, to work towards those ends, but as if just saying it would make anything happen. I could see people not being so excited about some of those pie-in-the-sky thoughts. But if it's very specific, like, let's try to improve the infrastructure, it's at least worth a round of applause. But they yeah. just cannot show any support for what he does. And I I don't know what the general consensus is. Obviously, the liberal media, they said what you would expect. The conservative media said what you would expect. But it's just a citizen of the U.S. I look at it, and to me it just makes the Democrats look bad. It just makes them look really bitter and angry. And, and like, well, what country are you for if you're not for the improvement of the U.S.? Yeah, uh, MSNBC was on in our home for a whole three seconds last night, and the Chiron at the bottom of the screen said that President Trump gave the third longest State of the Union address in history. So... It's as if they were just focusing on the sheer length of it and not any of the content, because if they started talking about the content, even people watching that channel would probably think that a lot of those things were good ideas. Yeah. I mean, it's I know they don't you know, they have divisions among the the political parties, but if they're trying to improve the U.S., I, I think that would be good. Uh, another headline says Guterres was triggered by USA chants and flees house chamber. Oh, wow. What do you want to chant? USSR? I mean, it's, it's just odd. <laughs> black Dems stone face reaction to news of low black unemployment. <laughs> is that a bad thing? Like, what are they angry about? I don't understand what, what the where the anger is in some of these issues. Right, and that includes the Black Caucus, which there would never be a white caucus. They're, they're lucky to even have a group in the first place, but then to not even be happy when their own constituents, the people they're representing, are benefiting... What does that say about people like that? I don't know. Yeah. Do they want people to stay down so they can stay on top? Like, that's kind of how it, it seems. And I sort of speak as a fool because, of course, that's what they want. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's what a lot of uh, leadership positions are, unfortunately. But so, anyway, that there's quite a few headlines about that today. And uh, it is interesting just to see how it went. The uh, Hill has this write-up, which is interesting. They talk about the fact that maybe the media is getting, uh, maybe they're wearing out their, their drum. They keep beating the anti-Trump drum to where people are kind of potentially getting sick of it. And they're posing the question like, well, uh, are people just going to turn this off because it's, it's just getting so um, trite and ridiculous. And every show is anti-Trump, anti-president, anti-U.S. Uh, the audience is getting a little tired of that. Yeah, that's right. Victor Davis Hanson had a really good piece recently. Uh, I think it's called From Conspiracy Theories to Conspiracies. And he was just pointing out the difference between, you know, coming up with a wild conspiracy theory out of the out of the thin air, basically, versus actual conspiracies that are taking place right now. And he starts out by saying, if uh, a certain political party wanted to actually be the resistance and overthrow the current president they would do this 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 and this and actually all these things have already taken place and he and then he'd go through another gigantic paragraph of all the things 
that the Democrats and the media have done to undermine the president. He said, actually, all those things have happened as well. It's not just a hypothetical. It's not just a conspiracy theory. This, this is an actual conspiracy that has been taking place for well over a year now. Even before he was elected, they were trying to do whatever they could to smear him and make sure he didn't win office. Uh, people are finally starting to see that that's what's going on. I think it probably turns people off after a while. Uh, this Hill piece says, from the president's show to our cartoon president, which is a new show coming out, I guess. The laundry list of TV shows targeting President Trump is getting longer. But with still more projects poised to flood the small screen landscape, is there a danger for the entertainment industry in greenlighting so much anti-Trump fare? GOP strategist Ron Bojin says it feels like there are two Americas out there under one border. You have the anti-Trump crowd, and then, of course, you have the pro-Trump voters, which, you know, I think the Democrats would be smart to remember. A lot of people voted for President Trump. This is earlier this month, Endeavor Content announced it had bought the film and television rights to Michael Wolff's controversial book, Fire and Fury, inside the Trump White House with plans to adapt the White House tell-all into a TV series. Uh, Bojin says, I feel like they're dipping their toes in very dangerous waters. These could have a real tendency to backfire. He says, look at what happened in the NFL and the controversy over kneeling during the national anthem and how attendance was lacking over the last half of the season. What really matters is quality entertainment, and if these shows have blatant anti-Trump messages... They can turn people off and cause Trump voters to go elsewhere and look for their entertainment. Uh, they're offending a lot of people. <laughs> so it's it's just interesting. Um, they've had some rating spikes because of their political content, but um, eventually that might backfire. Yeah, and the, the, the appalling part of it for most people probably is just that uh, you hear these people talk like, there is no one in the entire world who disagrees with them. So they can put on a TV show. They can make their political statements, even if they're an athlete. Everyone's going to agree with them across the board. Uh, it takes a pretty high level of arrogance to actually believe that uh, your position is dogmatically correct. Uh, and everyone else who might disagree with you, if there is even is anybody, is just contemptible and doesn't even... It's not, they're not even worth considering uh, whenever the pe these people are talking. And I just, you know, I honestly, I look at that State of the Union last night and and what you see coming out of the liberal media, and I get the fact that they don't like the current administration. I understand that that's their, their take. But I don't know what they're for. They're for lawlessness, I guess, because even last night, uh, Mr. Kennedy, one of the newer Kennedys is coming along, he gave the rebuttal to the speech, and he was very impassioned and pretty good speaker, I guess. Maybe a little too impassioned. It seemed a little a little over the top, but but he did fine, I guess. But even there, he was just everything that he was talking about was we need to become more unified uh, by just embracing more and more lawlessness. It doesn't matter who your spouse is. It doesn't matter this and that. Well, what are they for besides absolute lawlessness? Now, if America is going to become great again, and it will as you can find out in our Great Again booklet, it's going to be because people go back to God eventually. And neither party is really doing that today. But one party, the radical left, is so far removed and not even remotely trying to do anything that would look like what we would recognize in the Bible. And they, I guess they just want to keep going down that trail of lawlessness. And uh, where do they think that's going to end? 
Yeah, that's a really great point that they are so uh, boisterous in all of their disagreements with the president. But one consistent thing is that they have never really offered an alternative. It's dangerous for them to actually say what they believe, which is we want unfettered, complete and total acceptance of illegal immigration. We want the breakdown of family so that any type of family unit is acceptable, despite the fact that it puts children at a horrible disadvantage when they grow up in those systems. Uh, every every different uh, policy that they want to put into place is extremely unpalatable, and so they can't actually say it. They just have to criticize President Trump and mostly stick to personal attacks because then again, they don't want to focus on his ideas and how good they are. Uh, it really, It really is all just about warlike rhetoric for them, uh, personal attacks, smearing people's reputations and hope, hoping that enough people are going to believe that. Uh, and then just like you said, total lawlessness. They're not for anything, uh, except for no law. So basically again, not for anything, just, just for nothing. It's a really, really, uh, strange to, uh, see their rebuttal <laughs> because uh that's the thing that i thought when i was watching it was you just you just want more lawlessness you know and just keep going down that that trail which is going to be a disaster and of course it's not like either political party has the answers but uh but some are a little more extreme than others as far as getting away from even even what people would understand on some level you know we know that most people don't really look into the bible they don't really understand uh god's plan but some people try to hold the sub sort of, I don't know, you know, traditional family or whatever you might call it. And then uh, then there are those that just want to throw everything away and uh, just make it up as they go, I guess. And it, where does it stop? Well, yeah. And then we have to look at just how the Democratic voting base has fundamentally changed from a lot of a lot of the people who used to vote for them were uh, blue blue collar, middle class, white workers and now there probably not a single one of them would ever vote for the democrats because the democrats are blatantly appealing to illegal immigrants and coastal elites who don't have any idea what it's like to just be an average everyday american uh the policies that these liberal elites are for don't affect the liberal elites and so they don't even care about that i mean uh, that's why they're bringing in so many uh, illegals as well, because eventually, uh, even like what President Trump said yesterday, some of these DACA kids are going to eventually become citizens. Well, they got here illegally in the first place because of the Democratic Party, and now we're going to let those same people vote. Who are they going to vote for? I mean, let's let's just think about that for a second. The whole the whole population of voters is changing, and that's the only chance the Democrats have of ever winning an election. Right, and that's I think really what it's all about at the end of the day, is that it's a voter base issue, and if you can get enough people to vote for you, no matter where they come from, you can stay in power, and that's apparently what's happening. That's lawlessness too, isn't it? It is it's yeah. not not actually offering to serve the people in any way, but just blatantly breaking laws so that you can have the sheer numbers that you need to stay in power. Yep, and uh, the, of course the crazy thinking in there is that. Besides just the blatant lawlessness, is that who's going to control that mass of people? Though you can't control if if you've got a mass of people who just live a lifestyle that's constantly breaking laws, it, you can't come in at some point and say, "Okay, but 
but we are going to keep these couple of laws. Mm-hmm. It doesn't work that way. You can't you can't do that in your own house. You can't let your kids just do whatever they want and then at some point say, "Now, now, time to be quiet." <laughs> Well, they've never been quiet, so why would they be quiet now? You know, you see that all the time. <laughs> it's no different than having this uh, mass of people that just want to cast off all restraints. Nobody's going to put a restraint on them, unless right. it's absolutely forced. And then, of course, that's that's something we're not accustomed to in this country. Right. Uh, we, there's no credibility or authority behind someone who is totally permissible, but then whenever it comes to maybe, or permissive, but for whenever it comes to one one issue they finally decide to take a stand uh, that's what they're going to learn as well but even last night with the president's speech uh, a lot of a lot of us should have serious disagreements with that policy on letting those daca people stay uh, and eventually become citizens there's not even a wall yet to prevent more people from coming what if more people get brought here as children in a rush to beat the wall being put up it's like it's like we're publicly incentivizing, look, if you can get your children here fast enough before the wall goes up, your children at least will get to become American citizens. It's not a good message to send, and it's incomprehensible that any other nation in the world would ever say something like that. Right. Yep, it's, there's a lot of challenges ahead. And when you look at all the political back and forth, uh, it's really good to get back to the book uh, Great Again. It's at thetrumpet.com. And there's a lot of other good write-ups there, too, that just kind of put it all in perspective because, again, it's not there's not one party out there <laughs> or a third party that's going to solve it all. It's going to have to be, uh, it's gonna have to be uh, Christ doing it. And, um, and of course, it's going to have to – people are going to have to go back to follow God's law again, and there's no talk of that. I mean, in all the talk last night – whether it was, you know, sort of some good economic policies or whatever. And even there, of course, there's so much debt that that's a whole other story. But uh, but there was there's no talk of getting back to God. That'll get you booed out of the get you booed out <laughs> of wherever you're speaking from, whether it's the speech or the rebuttal. Uh, that would be so fascinating just to watch watch people just have meltdowns if somebody said, you know what? I think we really need to get back to the Ten Commandments around here <laughs> to see what the response would be. You'd, you'd set a Twitter record, that's for sure. Well, there is a lot of empty talk about unity while people do things that would cause the exact opposite. But what about being one nation under God? That That is unity. That That is something that we say in our Pledge of Allegiance. That, that's something that uh, supposedly the nation was founded on, but now we have tens of millions, hundreds of millions of people who are not religious at all, who would actually, uh, in some cases, even scorn the very thought that God exists. The only way we can be united is under God, as one nation under God, but people talk about unity and don't even bring him up. Right. Yeah, I noticed that. I I always notice it in those speeches. I happen to notice it in particular in the rebuttal last night. It was all this talk of you know, it doesn't matter who your spouse is. It doesn't, none of these things matter. And then at the end, uh, God bless America. <laughs> well, what? How? Because God has, he actually has laws about all of those topics. And he says very clearly that if if you, there's a blessings and cursings chapter in the Bible. If you do this, you'll be blessed. If you do this, you'll be cursed. So we, we just say, hey, anything goes. And then at the end, say, God bless America. <laughs> it, it's almost, uh, it's insulting, I think. <laughs> it just it insults not only the common intelligence of the viewer, but it's uh, God Himself. I would think the founding fathers said explicitly that this system of government could only stand if the people were moral and religious. Does does that rebuttal sound in any way moral or religious to tear down 
uh, the fundamental unit of society, which is the family, which is one man, one woman in marriage, having kids in marriage and not before, (laughs) you know, not after, not with other partners, but that is the only, uh, the only foundational way of building a family. He's not talking about that at all. And yet at the same time, he is, he is saying we need to have unity. He's asking for God to bless us. The system collapses without strong families. And even the founding fathers knew that. Well, it's so, it's so interesting too, because everything we do in life, there, there are certain rules, rules to it. Just even the fact that when uh, Mr. Kennedy came out to speak, he had a tie on. I didn't wear a jacket, but he had a tie. Why does he? Why did he wear a tie? Because it's kind of the common thing to do, right? It's yeah. the rule. But if you're just, if if nothing matters anymore, why don't you come out there in a lampshade? <laughs> I mean, what difference does it make, right? There's no law. There's no rule. We just do whatever we want. <laughs> why not? You know, people will follow certain rules because they don't want to be mocked. Yeah. But then when it comes to much more serious things like the way a family works, what constitutes a family, which is the backbone of a nation. Yeah, anything goes. Do whatever you want. Oh, such a backward set of priorities. Uh, when you look at it that way, it makes it look. It, it makes it seem even a whole lot worse because we do put such high priority on, uh, you know, just the language, the way the way that a politician speaks, the the kinds of gesture and the polish that he has, what he's wearing, how he grooms himself, and yet, you know, where where is the respect for? the content of character now why do we not care about those much deeper things that also reveal themselves they, they reveal themselves in the way that we uh smile the way that we talk the way that we behave but we're not even we're not even concerned with those things at all well it's interesting uh president lincoln when he when he first came into office and he was facing uh the secession of a lot of the southern states and you know there was a lot of high drama at that time and the question kind of came up like, well, because he had said earlier uh, before he was in too heavily involved at a higher level of politics, but he had said publicly that he, he you know, he said a, a group of people have the right to cast off a government if they want to. <clears throat> and so people came back to him and said, well, hey, you know, the South wants to cast off the government, but how, so how come you don't feel that way now? And he said, well, the principle is... Uh, people should only be allowed to cast off their government if it's an immoral government, if what they're doing is morally wrong. Otherwise, he said it's just a bunch of uh, who, who who has the most power, and it's dictatorships. He said if it's a moral issue, that's when people shouldn't you know um, follow the government, like with the slavery or something like that. Not that they should not follow it, but that they should try to change it legally. And uh, that that was his thinking on it. And how about today? Where are the moral issues? Do we even know what the actual moral issues are and what the right side of them is? Well, just just look at all the people who call every day for resistance, which is a which is a term of warfare. That's not just an everyday uh, casual f- word that you just throw around. Resistance means something serious. It means violently overthrowing the president, if possible. And there's been a lot of support for Antifa and Black Lives Matter and a lot of other domestic terrorist groups there's no way around it which sorry to interrupt but just that was brought up too in the rebuttal about how great those groups were wow i don't think antifa exactly but definitely black lives matter all these movements <laughs> yeah that's just i mean uh if any of those groups decided one day which pretty much they already have that they should be allowed to just overthrow the government should the government really sit by and 
let that happen or should the government I mean, probably crush it? I mean, that might be the way to deal with those types of things because they're advocating for absolute anarchy, lawlessness and chaos. You can't let the nation fall to forces like that just because the media is, is putting on pressure. Yeah. And they would probably say, oh, we do have a moral issue. But again, they're looking at it in a very skewed way. You know, we're not getting back to any sort of universal truth, which you can only find in the Bible. So anyway, interesting speech, lots of uh, division there. And there's a lot more about that on the Trumpet Daily, which we'll talk about in uh, just a moment. I uh, wanted to mention this uh, follow-up from the New York Times about the fake Twitter followers. Uh, people are getting nervous, so Twitter followers are vanishing amid inquiries into fake accounts. <laughs> More than a million followers have disappeared from the accounts of dozens of prominent Twitter users. In recent days, as the company faces growing criticism over the proliferation of fake accounts and scrutiny from federal and state inquiries into the shadowy firms that sell fake followers. The people losing followers include an array of entertainers, entrepreneurs, athletes, and media figures, many of whom bought Twitter followers or artificial engagement from a company called Devumi. So uh, people are getting nervous now. They know that they bought some fake users and they're dumping them. So uh, anyway, they, they list some people out. I'm not going to get into who it was. But anyways, yes, people that want to do a bolster their online popularity illegally and now they're getting scared and getting rid of their fake friends. Well, these things always tend to... Uh, get exposed being dishonest always always leads to it coming to light uh, no matter how how well we think we've concealed it uh, in this case people are pretty much exposing themselves by <laughs> making their own fake followers disappear and then all people have to do is notice that happening for them to be exposed i mean even just the guilt sometimes uh, of lying is what exposes the lie yeah and, and there are people out there that are more than happy to watch these twitter accounts and note <laughs> I don't know how people do it <laughs> yeah but uh, every time something like this happens there has to be someone just on patrol on the lookout to make sure that they know the exact number and how much it's gone down by i mean if this, is that somebody's job or is that just what someone does in their free time or what i don't know they like well the reporters like to do it because then they can expose uh somebody but now it, it <laughs> Unless they themselves bought some fake ones, then, and it probably probably makes people feel good that don't have as many followers. Like, see, <laughs> you just had all your fake followers, and so. they took all of mine. That's what it is. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I have no followers. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, interesting at times we live in. Yeah, it's funny if 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 you had heard this discussion about fake Twitter followers, even like ten years ago, probably people would be like, I don't know what, anything that you're saying. That makes no sense, but. You know, it's a, it's a whole new world of uh, engagement today. So, <laughs> but if you think back, just not that long ago, like no one even used Twitter, no one knew what it was, and and uh, well, it's the same. There's a write up today about Facebook, where Facebook's going after people that have accounts but don't really use them. And I'm one of those people, and I get these emails all the time, where they say, "Oh, it looks like you may be having some trouble logging in, and we can help you." Or <laughs> Well, you you got a lot more friends. People are looking for you. You know, I'm like, I don't know that. I know that's not true, and <laughs> <laughs> and I just don't use it because I don't care. And but they're man, they they got to pull you in because they're only relevant if people use it, whether it's Twitter or Facebook or anything. And if people don't use it, then really they have no relevance. Right, and it is such a silly concept. All these different social media platforms. There have been a number of great 
commercials, sketches, TV shows, even movies that have sort of ridiculed the idea that you can have followers like they'll they'll project that into real life if you just have like a hundred thousand people following you down the street uh, it's not so not so enjoyable anymore it's kind of weird in real life or like facebook where you can poke somebody that's not acceptable to do outside of you know the facebook realm you don't just go up to someone and poke them and see how they respond right. in real life i mean a lot of these things that we do in the online world that we think are just so normal and and like an everyday part of our lives uh, they've basically replaced real life to the point we, we don't even realize how strange some of these things are. Well, it's like uh, what they call them keyboard warriors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> People have some big comment and then somebody shoots back at them. And I like to watch uh, basketball highlight videos of especially, uh, well, any level really, but some of the up and coming high school kids, mm. especially if they're from maybe an area where I grew up. And it's just cause it's interesting to watch their, their games. You know, they're going to college and just see how they progress. But then there's always the comments on the video, and somebody's always like, yeah, they're no good. And somebody's like, yeah, let's see you play. You know, and it just goes back and forth, and it's just nonsense. <laughs> yeah, in real life, people would never just be nope. that belligerent. Like, you would never go up to that guy and tell him to his face, like, you're just terrible. Or, you know, in a, in a coffee shop one day, just start yelling about how bad this player is. But when you're online, I guess it's a whole different world, and people feel like they can do whatever they want. Right, they feel like they can hide their identity. So it's <laughs> it's human nature unhinged. It's like, here's everything I feel like saying, and I feel like there'll be no repercussions. <laughs> yeah. So if if we lived in that sort of a day to day world, it wouldn't wouldn't be great. No, no doubt. <laughs> it would. You know, you don't. Yeah, you, you know, everybody kind of has that. You go into a store or something, you see somebody, and you're like, wow, that's a weird outfit. You know, just, <laughs> but you don't go up to them and say, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Which is good. I, you know, I wonder how many people would come up to me and say like, "Hey," you know, <laughs> probably, probably quite a few. So anyway, they're getting rid of some of their fake friends. Uh, here's a, a interesting write-up from BGR.com. Health officials are worried that the Super Bowl may become one giant flu festival. The flu, you know, it's blowing up everywhere, and it's big in Minnesota area, I guess, and. So they're afraid it's going to become a petri dish of uh, disease. Super Bowl event organizers are already feeling the pressure to keep attendees from making each other sick. You make me sick, literally. (laughs) Uh, They say that means a lot of soap and sanitizing wipes at the Super Bowl Experience event. Currently running at the Minneapolis Convention Center, staff are being instructed to completely sanitize as many surfaces as possible several times per day. So uh, they're trying to keep the flu down. But, that yeah, we have these big events. Everybody comes together. and uh, But if somebody comes sick, you know, and people probably will. I mean, if you've got Super Bowl tickets and you're not feeling great but you feel like you can go, people are going to go, I'm assuming, and they're going to spread it around. And obviously Minnesota is a cold-weather location. Makes it even easier once you get there even to uh, pick up some kind of a sickness just because you're you're there, especially if you're there for the week and you want to get out and experience the city and some of the events, uh, you don't want to be staying in your hotel, uh, despite the fact that maybe it is really freezing cold and it, and you, it wouldn't be good for you. So a lot of people probably just push themselves beyond their limits in a way. And then when you combine that with 70,000 or so people being packed into the same place during the game itself, I, I always wonder how sickness doesn't spread more easily just in general at a lot of these different events. Right. Yeah. I and mean, hopefully people that are going aren't germaphobes. 
be hard to focus. <laughs> if you were, maybe go and wear those masks, you know, those little flu masks that they always have everywhere, <laughs> incorporated into your football costume. Yeah. <laughs> and some people really get into that. For the Oakland Raiders fans, I guess they'll be the Las Vegas Raiders here pretty mm. soon, but they have that part of the stadium they call the black hole oh, yeah. where they all dress up. That one guy dresses like Darth Vader every time, and then somebody else has the spikes on the shoulders. And uh, it's like a community. I mean, they really get up for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So it's, I mean, it's odd, but <laughs> so maybe they could incorporate some of their uh, their flu masks into those costumes. No one even know. Wear the Darth Vader mask, nobody would even know. <laughs> yeah, sporting events are another another one of those things where uh, if you try to apply that to real life, it wouldn't happen because you, you sit in this packed place right next to total strangers. You wouldn't, like, see someone in the park and go sit touching him leg to leg on a, on a park bench but that's what we're doing in these stadiums we're right next to each other and obviously a lot of sickness can go around you do start yelling and then high-fiving random people in those places sometimes when when it goes your way uh, so that's another way to spread disease around i just rather not think about it too much or else i'll get paranoid <laughs> yeah right yeah you high-five the guy and then you wipe your hands with the sanitary wipe Right away. Yeah, every just time. Make everybody upset. No offense. It's just... It's, it's, it's a Petri you know, dish here. We were advised to do this. There's <laughs> a write-up here from Agency France Press. We've uh, mentioned this in passing before. Anguished Germany raises anti-Semitism alarm. It says German leaders are increasingly alarmed about a resurgence of anti-Semitism in 73, 73 years after the Holocaust, stemming from an emboldened far right, they, they say anyway, and an influx of refugees from countries hostile to Israel. Germany is marking the 1945 liberation of the Nazi death camp at Auschwitz with solemn ceremonies, but also warnings of the need for stronger vigilance. And uh, so they say uh, Germany's post-war identity and acceptance in the community of nations has been built on its remembrance culture, including a full reckoning with the atrocities committed under Hitler, but as the elderly survivors die off, fears are growing that the country's collective memory will erode. A further concern is the growing prevalence of anti-Semitic sentiment in schools, particularly among many young Muslims who have come to the area. In Berlin, teachers say that Jew has become a common insult. So there you go again. You know, you're combining cultures and, and the Jews are caught in the crossfire, it seems like, from both sides. Well, yeah, that that point about how a lot of the elderly uh, people in Germany are dying now, those who might have lived through what happened in World War II, that's a really strong reason why this might be coming up again because it does seem like you always see uh, Germany having to publicly apologize for what happened in World War II. And for those who are young... They probably get sick of that pretty quickly. They didn't experience how bad it was. They don't understand why, of all nations in the world, it seems like Germany has to apologize more than anybody else. Uh, There are Holocaust remembrance museums in nations all over the world, not just within Germany. So that's, that's what these young people are seeing. There are people in other nations memorializing something bad that our nation did almost 100 years ago. Why is that? Why do we have to uh, still walk around feeling ashamed? Uh, So the natural recoil at that would be to be even more proud of being a German, which could lead to, I guess, some, some other extremes as well. Then you throw in the migrant situation, and these are people who most Germans would probably, uh, not get along with so well except for the fact that 
well, at least they both might not like Jews as much. Uh, you know, whether it be just because of a recoil at the way that they've been shamed their whole lives, or uh, if some of that sentiment just still exists anyway, uh, it's almost like this strange alliance between the naturalized, naturally born Germans and the Muslims who are in their midst. They might not agree on anything else except for being anti-Semitic. Right. And I think anytime you combine cultures and races and especially more than two, uh, you get some alliances or some sort of, you know, situations like that where uh, nobody's really an ally to anybody, but maybe two people are, they can, two groups can agree on the fact they don't like the third group as much or something. So anyway, Angela Merkel, I think she's done a lot to try to, uh, you know, steer the nation and Germany in a different direction, but uh, she's not doing as well as she has in the past. Obviously she's losing some popularity and, and uh, you know, you see it. You see America say, "Hey, America first. Well, why wouldn't Germany then say, "Well, Germany first? And now all of a sudden, we're all looking at each other. So, uh, of course, if you follow the Trumpet dot com, you know that you're going to see more of that in Germany. And so, there's some some good write ups about that there that you can check out uh, at the Trumpet dot com today. The top story is why cloning is immoral. This is happening a lot. Uh, scientists have cloned monkeys, but there is still something they don't know about the value of life and the human mind. That's by Andrew Miller. So make sure you uh, read that. And then also he talks about it a little bit on the Trumpet Hour program today that you can listen for as well. Uh, There's a headline the other day. Well, I don't know if it's true or not, but you know, they, somebody claimed that they had a half man, half monkey that they made in a laboratory and then freaked out and killed the thing. And, you know, that seems a little ridiculous, but um, you never know. Who knows what they're getting into these days? Uh, and it's a, it's a great question. You know, p- people say, well, is it wrong to clone? Why is it wrong to clone? Well, if you throw out the Bible, you throw out God, you throw out knowledge of his plan and, and, his, and the human spirit and the Holy Spirit, yeah, I guess it seems like it doesn't matter. But when you know those things, you can see that it is very immoral to get into cloning. Right. Uh, that That is one of the most uh, fascinating subjects. And... Uh, it could become very controversial. It's not obviously. It's not obvious. It's obviously not at the forefront of uh, national arguments right now. But uh, cloning. I mean, does doesn't that destroy our 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 understanding of the parallels between the physical and the spiritual birth process? Uh, doesn't it? Doesn't it almost elevate man to the god level where we feel like? We can create human beings ourselves, our own way. Uh, there, there are a lot of problems with that, and even it, it just kind of conjures up memories of uh, certain regimes in the past, kind of conducting science experiments on human beings or on animals, where that's not that's extremely unethical. It's cruel, and what happens when maybe the clone goes horribly wrong, like you mentioned? Do you have to just kill it right there? Do you have to commit murder to? offset the results of your mistake uh there's kind of why why even get into that why even have to worry about the way to respond to a situation like that i remember years ago they used to talk about and this might still be a thought i don't know but like well when somebody's born or made or however they want to do it then then you make a clone right away and it's like your spare parts you know, so if you need another part, well, it's, it, then then you the, the theory would be well, it'd be easy to transplant it because it's you. Your body would accept it. Uh, I don't think you'd want to be the clone in that instance. <laughs> You're just hanging out, playing table tennis, waiting for the day. 
<laughs> I don't know what the, it's it's, no. all, it's 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 like a bad it's like a bad sci-fi movie but I mean once man starts to kind of push the boundaries and they're not looking they're not looking to God for any sort of direction then things can get pretty weird pretty fast and pretty dangerous and they don't know what they're doing they they even with some of the things that uh, Andrew Miller brings out you know they they still don't quite understand how everything works and so you're creating or not creating but you're they're cloning these things and ha- they have physical problems even because they just don't even quite know how it all works so it's it's a pretty dangerous game well even that part you brought out about uh, what what would it be like to be the clone just waiting to have your body parts taken uh is there any value in that human life does that life have any sort of respect put upon it by other people if that's the entire purpose of that life um obviously not obviously life becomes less valuable if it gets treated that way um and and yet human life should be one of the most uh sanctified beautiful things and we should cherish that not not cheapen it in a way like that and then you can just see the movie where like the clone gets out and you know tries to replace the other one (laughs) and no one can quite you know they're trying to figure out is this the real one is this the clone I will say I would watch that movie. I would yeah. be in favor of the real life practice, but that sounds interesting. <laughs> You'd have to quiz them on little snippets that they wouldn't yeah. know. But it's him, but it's not. I think they've actually done those movies before. <laughs> it seems like it was a bad movie made in the 1980s or something. Uh, the Trump Daily Radio Show today with your host Stephen Flurry gets a lot into the President Trump State of the Union address. Uh, so really interesting, great, a lot of great points there, and uh, make sure you listen for that. A, a, a note with that that I thought was interesting. The, apparently, the report I, I've seen here says there's only been one president that's ever said the State of the Union was not good. They always get up there and say the State of the Union is strong. Uh, in January 1975, five months after uh, ascending to the presidency in the wake of Richard Nixon's resignation, Ford, uh, Henry, or Henry Ford, sorry, <laughs> Ford gave his first State of the Union address. He uh, It wasn't Henry Ford. He recounted how when he was a freshman congressman from Michigan, he sat in the House and witnessed President Harry Truman, that's where the Harry came from, uh, or the Henry, declare that the State of the Union was good. And then he said, uh, today that freshman member from Michigan stands where Mr. Truman stood, and I must say to you that the State of the Union is not good. That was according to President Ford. And uh, so that was in 1975. So according to this write-up, Maybe maybe there's something else they're missing, but that's the only president that said the State of the Union is not good. Well, at least there was an attempt at total honesty there. <laughs> Usually a president wouldn't ever even think of admitting something like that. Um, there have definitely been other times where maybe the president should have said it, uh, but didn't. But yeah, after after Richard Nixon, that, that was a, a difficult time for a lot of people. Um, the media clearly had some sort of agenda there in bringing that out it's even been shown after the fact that nixon was trying to root out communism in the democratic party and and people were upset about that so uh, there's there's a lot there's a whole lot of uh nuance to that situation that is definitely really interesting to read about yeah president uh gerald ford and uh i don't think he was related to henry ford I was Googling it to find out. I'm like, was he related to him in any way? I don't know. It's too much information to look at right now. They'd both be proud to say they were, at least. homework for somebody (laughs) to check it out. Uh, Here's a story from uh, Fox News, just kind of interesting in passing. You've seen these emotional support animals. 
you know, it, people can almost bring anything anywhere because they need it for emotional support. Uh, a woman's denied emotional support peacock on a United flight. She's going to bring a peacock with her. Why would a bird take a flight? It's got wings. <laughs> they fly outside the plane. The news comes, uh, or this situation came on the heels of Delta's controversial crackdown of emotional support and service animals. On January 19th, the airline announced forthcoming restrictions in hopes of curbing an abuse of the policy. They've had an 84% increase in ill animal behavior such as urinating, <sighs> defecating, biting, and attacks on flights. Can you imagine? This lady bought a seat. So can you imagine sitting down and maybe there's three seats, which is pretty standard. You got the lady, you got a peacock, and then you got you. <laughs> the thing's trying to eat your peanuts, drink your drink, <laughs> slapping you with its tail feathers. I w- you can't sleep if you got a peacock next to you. You don't know what it's going to do. <laughs> yeah, that's what an extreme it's gone to because emotional support animals are supposed to be for those who might have like post-traumatic stress disorder from being in combat. Uh, but now it's almost like anyone could claim that they that they should have one. Uh, and there's no consideration given for those who may be suffering on that flight because of the animal brought on board. Uh, those people who have those animals need to try to think about other people and not not inconvenience hundreds of others just because they want to bring their peacock on board. Yeah, and you know there are there are like seeing eye dogs and other animals that are needed, and they're highly trained to know how to behave. You can't just bring a peacock on the plane. <laughs> you know, I was thinking maybe it was uh, Megan Kelly actually. You know, she was upset she can't go to the Olympics because they're sending Katie Couric instead. <laughs> and the peacock is the symbol for NBC. So maybe yeah. that's the emotional support animal. <laughs> Bring a peacock. Make you feel better. That's great. <laughs> what a link. Yeah, I, uh, I had to explain the, the whole thinking there. I do love NBC's logo. I, I don't love everything about NBC, but their logo really does stand out. It's uh, the peacock. I remember that. The uh, here, if We want to finish today talking about uh, sportsmanship. And you think, why? Because it's in the news, <laughs> and uh, it's important. The This is a headline leading into this uh, write-up we want to talk about. The NBA is mad, they say, and fans just want to consume it more. They want more and more. If you're a basketball fan, you might have noticed that there's a high drama in the NBA. They say the NBA is in the midst of a season in which TV ratings are up double-digit percentage points. They're booming. Says, but, and so then they talk about how the NBA players are so mad and getting into all this stuff. But they say, but why are or what are NBA players so mad about exactly? Is it the officiating? They're like, well, sure, it's pretty bad, but it's always been that way. Uh, there's nothing new there. Pay? Well, it's hard to gripe much when most twelfth uh, men make over a million dollars a year, while superstars have seen their future annual salaries break forty million dollars. Shoe deals? Well, many top players make as much or even more from their shoe company than they do from their actual employer. It may be NBA players are just angry because, well, everyone else is angry and they're humans too, albeit very large ones, they say. <laughs> the whole world is mad right now, and capturing the culture zeitgeist, cultural zeitgeist of 2018 requires being angry. That's what you have to do these days. It says we can't uh, relate to someone jumping two feet above the rim, but someone who is mad about every little thing, yeah, we can we can register. That <laughs> registers with us. They say the anger-infused on-court product is outstanding right now, so if finding and inventing slights helps players motivate themselves to perform at peak level every game of the 82-game schedule, sign us up for it, they say. We want to be entertained. You watch First Take, you watch Undisputed, you watch any of those sports talk shows, 
and it comes down to the NBA, very little has to do with the action on the court. Most of it is like, did you see what they said in the locker room? <laughs> did you see what they tweeted? <laughs> it's all this this tic uh petty anger, but it's selling and people are buying it. Yeah, and, and a lot of those guys, they are pretty much to the edge of just being psychopathic and in, in how hard they go after their one skill. And uh, whenever it's that way, those types of people usually do find some sort of motivation, where regardless of where it's coming from or if it's a legitimate source, it whether they should be mad at someone or not, sometimes people just run on anger and that's that's the way that they motivate themselves yeah there's a really good write-up about sportsmanship and it's important because you you probably play some sports yourself on a recreational level uh and or we watch them and and it can affect our attitudes or if our kids watch them it affects attitudes and that's why it's important there's a write-up here at pcog.org the lost art of sportsmanship what is true sportsmanship and can it be restored to sports it's by uh gareth frazier and he talks about, you know, again, just like what they pointed out in that article about the NBA. Everywhere you look, you see bad sportsmanship. You see fighting. You see, you know, the talking. You see the the complaining about officiating. It's just on and on and on. Sometimes physical, absolute physical violence as well. And uh, so he talks about the importance of sportsmanship and, and how do you have sportsmanship. What is the major purpose of sports, he writes, is it to, te- it is rather, to teach and instill true values and proper attitudes in those who play, coach, and officiate. And in most cases, if you go to a sporting event, um, it, you don't see a lot of character being built. You see a lot of character being torn down. And you hear the fans yelling at the players and, you know, just on and on and on. And so he looks at, in this write-up, uh, five values that make up a good sport. So we'll look at the five values. You can. It's a little self-examination. Yeah, Are we good sports? It's really a timely thing because, like you said, these NBA guys are pretty angry right now. There's been a lot of controversy between the NBA players and uh, the officials in the NFL. They have made a lot of their fans angry by some of these anthem protests. So anger is a big part of sports right now. And it is, it is to the point where... It's almost hard to watch it too much or else you start to get a little bit riled up yourself. You don't want to get into that state of mind, but that's kind of what the entertainment has become. And then that's what people emulate when they play it themselves. And so here are uh, five values that make up a good sport. Uh, Number one is attitude. Herbert W. Armstrong, founder of Ambassador College, taught that when there is a spirit of hostility, toward the other side, then it does break God's law. Therefore, at Ambassador College, intercollegiate competition is prohibited uh, back when they uh, when that college was still functioning. But intramural games between our own classes occur. So there was, and that's the same here at Armstrong College, where we do have intramural leagues. We play against each other, but they don't play, we don't play intercollegiately. And a big part of it was because of the spirit, you know, um, where when you see two teams go against each other, very rarely, very rarely do you see them just excited for a good game and, you know, hey, they want to win and you try to win, but that's okay if you don't, you know, the other team plays better. Uh, usually it's win at all costs. You know, college uh, uh, college crowds for basketball games are notorious for coming up with clever ways to taunt the opponent and to demoralize them at every turn, even getting into their personal lives. <laughs> you remember J.J. Redick from Duke? He mm-hmm. was a hated player. 
people found his sister's phone number online and they put up they would put up signs with JJ Reddick's phone number or sister's phone number to like bother him when he was trying to shoot free throws. <laughs> and, I mean, just stuff that's just outrageous. It's kind of, you know, we do laugh at it a little bit, but uh, just the wrong attitude, the wrong spirit of competition there. Yeah. Last night, my brother and I went to the Oklahoma Sooners basketball game and there was, my brother pointed out to me this guy who was sitting right behind one of the baskets and he was dressed in a full squirrel costume. Like the an- the animal, like a squirrel, <laughs> yeah. Uh, somehow, right behind the basket, uh, I don't know why, but <laughs> at least at least that's more of a good natured way of distracting somebody. <laughs> yeah, it's not a personal attack, I guess, but you, we just see bad attitudes. But attitude is so important. Uh, the article says you must set the example in this world of twisted sports and uphold the true art of sportsmanship. Your attitude in sports will go a long way in determining both the outcome of the game on the scoreboard, the outcome of the attitudes of those playing the game, as well as uh, the proportion of character you build. So attitude is extremely important in all of these things. Another trait that's important in sportsmanship is courage. Uh, The quality of courage enables us to meet obstacles in life with resolute firmness, uh, even when we're playing a sport. And so... uh, that's an important point to think about as well. Uh, the example of raw courage has been imprinted on my mind, he says. Uh, this is Mr. Fraser writing. Since reading it back in 1983 about this uh, example of a, uh, a teenager that ran 5,300 miles uh, uh, to uh, raise uh, money for uh, some research. And uh, he said reading that example really imprint, uh, impressed his mind and how you have to have courage to overcome insurmountable odds. And so, you know, when you go play a game, it's, a good attitude is important, but it's not like you're trying to lose or you're not playing hard. I mean, you do need courage, but you need to have the right attitude as you do your best to win this contest and overcome obstacles. Right, and and courage does come into play quite a lot. Um, if we're pretty inexperienced in a sport, uh, sometimes it makes us uncomfortable to actually go play it, especially if there are people in the stands watching. That To, to do something that we're not, that we don't consider ourselves very good at, it's, it is an uncomfortable, kind of a scary experience sometimes. And there are points in a game where it's really close and you have to do your job perfectly almost to make sure that your team gets a chance to win. Uh, there's a lot of pressure involved there and you do have to try to step up in that moment. Um, and that's that's not even talking about some of the greatest moments in history, in sports history, like uh, what Mr. Fraser was talking about with that run. Uh, there are a lot of other examples like that. Uh, where people pretty much won gigantic personal individual battles uh, through sports. Yeah, and and I think another reason courage is such an important uh, aspect of sportsmanship because you mentioned having to like really do your job well uh, in high pressure moments. Sometimes you see a bad attitude, even though a person doesn't say anything, they just quit. They just quit. Like, ah, I can't. Ah, we're losing. What difference does it make? Sort of attitude. That's bad attitude too. It's not good sportsmanship to quit. And so, you know, you owe it to your opponent to do your best the whole way through the game. Uh, We're short on time, but I'll just give you these other points that he brings out real quickly as far as things needed for um, good sportsmanship. Endurance, patience, uh, teamwork as well. So those are the the points, all those things. You can read more about this. Uh, We don't have time to get into all of it, unfortunately. But uh, the lost art of sportsmanship and... uh, He gives those true values of sportsmanship, attitude, courage, endurance, patience, and uh, teamwork. And so there's a quick test there on if you have patience. 
And uh, it has to be quick because nobody has the patience to take a long test. <laughs> so, <laughs> but it's a really good write-up, and especially when you, you, if you're a sports fan or your kids like sports, uh, it's important to talk about proper attitude, especially in this day of uh, anger <laughs> that we see. PCOG.org, The Lost Art of Sportsmanship. Check it out. Yeah, and all those points get back to making sure you can give the best of yourself, but also uh, making sure that you can get along well with others, be an ideal teammate. You don't just want to be uh, a star player playing on an island. You also have to make sure that your teammates are involved and enjoy being with you. Right. Yep. It's hard to play one on five or one on whatever it is in football. Eleven. Eleven. Yeah. <laughs> it would be very hard in uh, seven and flag football yeah. for us. Right. So uh, check out that article. It's great. Also, like, make sure you listen for the Key of David program, Trumpet Daily Radio Show, and the Trumpet Hour program coming up today as well. That's all the time we have for this edition of Trumpet Radio Live. For uh, the natural athlete, Grant Turgeon, and myself, Roy <laughs> Falk, have a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. You're listening to Trumpet Radio, 101.3 KPCG.